unlike most of the prophets or whatever you see in the west buddha was actually born a prince siddhartha who is the warrior prince grew up in luxury learned sword fighting and you know so he learned to be aggressive he learned to be a protector of his people he learned to lead an army now siddhartha who later became buddha he goes into war is sitting on an elephant and looking at all the death and destruction around him and that's the moment he says enough i cannot be the enabler for this kind of destruction and that's when he decides to become something he didn't decide to become a buddhist because there wasn't any buddhism back then because he wasn't the buddha yet so we are talking of the pre buddha buddha the moment where he decided to become buddha and come up with a new set of learnings that we all know about today now that very moment of him sitting on his elephant looking at people dying the moment where where it hit him so to speak that moment is captured on this huge tone relief the piece of art that captures this moment you can find this in hall 33a of the british museum today just think about the paradox of buddha who preached non-violence collectivism friendship camaraderie something commemorating all of that was forcefully taken away Vice 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 News presents the unfiltered history tour Colonialism as told through 10 objects Hi this is Anurag Saxena I grew up in the state of Andhra Pradesh where Amravati is located in fact Amravati is now the capital of Andhra Pradesh So growing up as a child we heard stories of a whole bunch of our heritage that got stolen away idea of buddhism it is about the discovery and understanding of self like you have churches or mosques or temples or synagogues or whatever a stupa is where you went to meditate so the closest example would be a church but it really isn't is it isn't really a place of congregation it is a place where you sit down with yourself and understand yourself and study yourself this stupa where these marbles come from is from you know 200 250 bc different cultures had very different ways of recording their history their fables their stories the primary medium in india was sculptures they are the walls the pillars the gateways the arches of the stupa amravati marbles that are now in london have reliefs or stories of the jataka tales these are stories made for children the closest would be aesop's fables for you guys a whole lot of jataka tales and the panchatantras which are two original texts for children so to speak are about the relationship of human beings with nature uh, with animals and with each other this is the kind of stuff that greta thunberg talks about today the whole idea of vasudeva kutumbakam which is the world as one family and you don't look at yourself from an individualistic perspective but a collective you're a part of something bigger than you and that's what the jataka tales were about so we're really talking about ages of history ages of culture ages of documentation in the only format that we knew how that were forcefully taken away and moved without consent 
this is very important because when we talk about art theft, people generally imagine a painting of Picasso or a vase of the Ming Dynasty being taken away or being moved. Here we are talking about acres of walls, of ceilings, of pillars, of beams, of gateways, of arches being taken away. Imagine a building that is there and a few years later the building is not there. Back in the late 1800s, Amravati was a small sleepy village. You had Walter Elliot that reached there and he was fascinated by these carvings. He wrote back to the queen saying that, hey, these marbles are so beautiful, I'm having sketches sent to you. Because the sketches couldn't capture the beauty, they actually boated somebody down to actually take pictures. They were moved first to Madras where, uh, you know, you had Edward Balfour, the curator of the museum, who said, listen, we can't take care of these marbles, they're getting damaged here. So they were then moved to the UK. In the UK, they were in Five House in Whitehall. And after a long time there, you had James Ferguson, who said that, listen, we can't take care of this amazing stuff, it's getting damaged, what do we do with it? So they were then sent to the British Museum. Then the World War happened and the British Museum said, hey, we can't take care of it, this is too amazing for us. So back in 1958, I think, they took them off display. Till the UK had temperature controlled facility where they could actually showcase these marbles. What you see today in the British Museum is only a small fraction of what was originally taken. A lot got lost, stolen or destroyed in the process of getting all the way to the UK. There's much else which is actually in the UK but totally off display. You know, it's painful and shocking that somebody could take something that meant so much to you, your community, your faith and use it as a showpiece, push it around from one person to other, one place to other without bothering about, uh, you know, is somebody taking care of it? Are the rituals being conducted uh, as they should? Are they being seen, observed, read, revered as much as they should? You know, it, it's so offensive that we continue to normalize this kind of behavior today. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's painful. The argument we often hear is that the stupa was abandoned and disrepair. Indians were so poor, they couldn't take care of their own heritage. So that is why we had to come in as knights in shining armor to save it kind of nonsense. This is something we really need to debunk. I mean, this is a terrible, terrible misinformation narrative. It's so crazy. I mean, these objects were taken care of so beautifully. Right, so I don't want you sitting here telling me that, hey, you couldn't take care of it. You see, the history of colonization is very interesting. When Christopher Columbus set to look for India, in the original letter of intent, which he sent to the king and queen, the word Lord and God is mentioned just once. Right? And the narrative today is that it was supposed to be a conquest to spread the gospel, etc. The word gold is mentioned 17 times. So anyone that tells you that this was a noble act, etc, etc, it wasn't. A whole bunch of people were looking for India because they knew it was the land of riches. Now there are historical records of what about 45 trillion dollars that was taken away from India in terms of steel and copper and gold and cotton and what have you. So we're talking of a commercial venture which was premised on the idea of discovering and looting India's resources away, which was then legitimized or blessed by the Queen. 
when the British Empire started progressing through India, they took away lives, they took away resources, and they took away our heritage. At a mass scale, people getting killed, getting taken hostage, you know, women getting raped, children being made into slaves. It's really a very bloody, gory history. A lot of my friends and colleagues that grew up in the West didn't even know that Winston Churchill personally, you know, personally ordered the starvation of millions of Indians, took food away from India to the UK just as buffer stock. I mean, Britishers didn't even need it. You know, so in your perspective, Churchill could have been a hero, but in ours, he's a mass murderer. I mean, he took more lives than Hitler did. Close your eyes and think of a person who's always out to get you. Imagine 10 years of living in that relationship, going through microaggression, going through trauma each and every day. In the end, you realize that, hey, listen, I am now a much whittled down version of the person I used to be before this trauma started. How much would it mean to you if that person came to you and acknowledged the pain they've inflicted on you and apologized for it? That is why UK needs to give back heritage that it took from India because it is an acknowledgement of the pain, the oppression, the trauma that was inflicted. India is coming out of centuries of abuse. We as a nation are literally suffering from PTSD. I'm just being very blunt. right? We were plundered by the Middle East, Portuguese, the French, then the UK. So it's centuries of deprivation, centuries of oppression. It's only now that we are learning to deal with whatever trauma we collectively went through. I now run the India Pride Project, which is a global group of volunteers, which spans across a dozen plus countries, who are trying to get these marbles back home, and in fact, thousands of objects that are now in various museums and private collections. The idea is premised on a very simple line of morality, which is that history belongs to its geography. Ten years back, none of the heritage was coming home. Ten years back, governments didn't want to have a conversation around this. Ten years back, museums were skirting the issue. Ten years back, this wasn't even a topic. And I think what's happened, and, and you know, honestly, we've only been a very small part of it. There are a whole bunch of activist groups you know, later museums, later nations. You know, you have France and Germany and Canada and Australia and the US who are now saying that, listen, history belongs to its geography. So let's kind of start it. So I think we are at a very fascinating inflection point where uh, within our lifetimes, we will see it is absolutely immoral to sit on anything that is taken forcefully from the other. So when it comes to former colonies sitting on forcefully looted heritage, the conversation, I mean, it's already changing, you know. This podcast was produced by Jesse Lawson with research from Marta Vanderwolf. This episode features sounds from BP or not BP. The Unfiltered History Tour is a Vice World News production.